Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And while you're turning to John chapter 21, um, I'm going to give you a little quiz here, a little question maybe. What are the uh, most, uh, what are the parts of a pencil? Think through the parts of a pencil. And what is the most important part? The part that you hold, the eraser, the lead. What is the most important part? And we're going to get to this at the end of the message. And, uh, and then what else, or what are some things you can do with a pencil? Besides, obviously, writing. What are some other things you can use a pencil for? So um, I know some of the, the youth and the kids, maybe you can just sort of jot those down. Like, what can I use a pencil for besides writing with? Um, so, okay, again, just a little side note, get you thinking about, because we're going to come back to that later. So John chapter one, 21, are you there? All right, let's, let's read. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. So there we go. Seven of the 12 disciples being pretty unsuccessful right now. Verse four, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple that Jesus loved, that'd be John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over charcoal and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Here we go. Another resurrection moment. Uh, we need to remember that the death of Jesus was not the end of the journey for the disciples. It was just the beginning. The resurrection is a start to a whole new journey for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Last week, we discovered that the resurrection reminds us that God is a God of comfort. Praise God, because we need his divine comfort right now. And we need his divine comfort right now so that we can comfort others. The resurrection also reminds us so that God is not finished with us yet. When we think we're done, when we think we're not good enough, when we, when we think we just can't measure up to what God wants, God shows us that those thoughts, those are not healthy thoughts. Those are not good thoughts. Those are not from God. And in this story, Peter and some of his disciples, they went back to their boats to fish. I mean, why? Was he done being a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
I mean, his teacher, his, his savior uh, had died. And then he did the miraculous resurrection act. But now what? Jesus isn't around. Well, what are we supposed to do now? Are we done? Could it be that something in Peter's life caused him to revert to former things? Have we too quickly forgotten what took place prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Prior to his death, prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Peter didn't. Peter hadn't forgotten. Peter had denied who Jesus was. He denied his relationship with Jesus Christ. Peter denied knowing Jesus, and probably that bothered him immensely, more than we realize. And what made it worse was that Jesus predicted it. I mean, think about it. It's like when a friend makes a bet with you. They're like, hey, you're going to deny me. Ah, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. But it's deeper than that. It's not like a prediction about winning or losing a game. Okay, It's a personal failure. And that failure included what you thought was a tight friendship. Peter hurt somebody that he never wanted to hurt. Been there? Have you ever done that? Have you ever hurt somebody that you didn't mean to hurt? It wasn't intentional. It just like it just sort of happened. For Peter, at first Jesus was dead. I mean, how do you fix that? But now he's alive. But Peter was still ashamed that this this strong and great disciple of Jesus denied Jesus. His love for Jesus was so real, and there's no denying that. I mean, if you remember, he's the, one that, the only one that climbed out of the boat and walked on water. Nobody else did. He was the only one to admit that Jesus Christ was the Son of God in a conversation they had. He, he was the one that ran to the tomb. In his heart, Peter would never deny Jesus. But in front of others, when pressured, he failed. Now what? He most likely felt shame. Have you felt shame before? I heard an incredible thing this week. Somebody said this on one of our calls. They said, Adam and Eve hid from God their nakedness behind a tree in shame, while Jesus died naked on a tree to remove our shame. Well, that that comment really hit me, thinking about the shame that we have and what Jesus did to remove that shame. With God, what we hide is quickly exposed. And until we deal with the stuff inside, it's hard to be a disciple for Jesus, isn't it? I mean, ask yourself, do you want to follow him? Do you really want to abide? Do you really want to grow in your faith? Do you really want to shine for Jesus? Then be ready to face some inner struggles that are going to get ugly. See, we tend to bury them. We don't want others to see. We we want to look good on the outside. We want to be perfect. We want others to think we have it all together, right? Yeah, of course. Jenny and I had a really good discussion on our last date night. And uh, date night is something that we never really did much of since we've had kids. But we started having date night for the past month now. Uh, every week we have a date night. And it's, it's Wednesday night. Why Wednesday night? What do we do? So we go to Toledo and we go to get groceries. Why Toledo? Well, Panera Bread, and we're very thankful for them, they give True North Church all their leftover baked goods and their breads. So whatever they have at the time of closing, 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night, 
They bag it up and they donate it to nonprofits. So on Wednesday night is our night. We go pick up a bag, maybe two bags of breads and goodies. And we bring that back so that we can feed people on Thursday at our food pantry. What a blessing that is, right? So we go get our groceries. We go get something to eat. We sit in the van. We eat our food together. We have a great conversation. Uh, we do something, uh, watch uh, something uh, online. And, and, uh, and then we get the donations and come home. Well, we had a conversation recently, and, and it was really good discussion. And it was all about basically like when there's a fault in my life, how I get upset. And it may appear that I'm mad with you, but I'm not. See, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at me. I don't like failing. I, I don't like letting other people down. I, I don't. So when I can't get my point across or when I miscommunicate, even on a Sunday morning, and, and somebody says something, I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at me because I failed. Why can't I say something without upsetting my wife? Why can't I say something without upsetting somebody else? When, when, I'm, when I'm saying something and I mess up, it frustrates me. When I sin, I feel like the Apostle Paul, who said in Romans chapter 7, he said this, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin and is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul had to say. And I, and I like, amen that. Yeah, I don't do the things I want to do. And I, and I do the things I don't want to do. And what a miserable man I am. There's this fighting going on. But praise God for Jesus Christ. The struggle is real. Praise God that the answer is Jesus Christ. For three years, Peter followed Jesus Christ. Think about this. He invested time, emotion, intellect, his spirit into Jesus, right? His love was legit. So when he denied Jesus, it was like his own words stung. He was wrecked on the inside. He couldn't get those echoing words, I don't know him, out of his mind. Peter saw the empty tomb. He saw the risen Lord, and yet he still felt alone. All I could hear was that voice of failure. He blew it, and it bothered him. And this is what happens when routine changes. When you slow down, when you stop your daily work, you certainly have time to be quiet, right? And when it's quiet, you reflect. And when you reflect, sometimes your regrets surface along with other things. It's like when you let your coffee sit for a while and you put some cheap creamer in there and then you look at it in and some of that cheap creamer is sort of floating on top. It's like, gross, man. Well, over time, it surfaced. And over time, the ugly things in our life surfaced too. So what do we do? What would you do? What did Peter do? Peter's like, I'm going to go back to fishing. I, I don't know if I can do that. I'm going to go back to work. That way I don't have 
to deal with these hard emotions. I would rather listen to the waves hitting the side of the boat or listen to my buddies laugh or we have a little chat or whatever. But I don't want to listen to the voices inside because when it's quiet, I hear that. And a lot of us right now in quarantine and in the quietness of not working maybe the way we used to work, a lot of things are surfacing, aren't they? A lot of ugliness in our hearts are surfacing. Maybe we don't know how to handle it. So we yell at our spouse. We yell at our kids. Our kids yell at us. It's happening, right? Let's remember what happens in this story right here. Remember, Peter loved Jesus. Jesus loved Peter. It was real. But a moment of failure possibly made Peter think that it wasn't real. Maybe he thought he didn't love Jesus enough. Maybe Jesus doesn't love him anymore. If Jesus doesn't love me like he used to, does that mean he doesn't want me to serve like he at once first asked me to serve? Have I just been severed from the vine of Jesus? Is my calling done? Am I going to wither apart from the vine? Again, Peter was close to Jesus. Remember the moment he walked on water? He saw more miracles with Jesus probably than any other disciple. Yeah, he was loud sometimes. Yeah, he didn't have a filter and things came out he shouldn't have said. And yeah, he got angry in the garden and he attacked with a sword and knocked off a guy's ear. Yep, yep, yep. I remember that. Yet in Matthew 16, verses 15, it says this. Then Jesus asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, now listen to this reply. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. It's like Peter was listening and heard the voice of God. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. All those are great memories, but those aren't just memories. Jesus isn't around now. And guess what's resurfaced? His failure. Am I good enough to be his follower? Does he still love me? I'm not worthy to be his follower. I'm not worthy to call him God or my friend. So now he's in the boat again. You go back to, to John here and you think about this. What does it feel like to be in that boat again? Well, he's back doing what he did before the days of Jesus, right? That's easy to return to. Might be. But there's still that small voice inside that says, What are you doing? This is your old life. Jesus called you out of that old life of being a fisherman to now being a fisher of men. Is that small voice inside saying something to you? That's your old life, right? Alcohol, loneliness, hurt, abusive relationships, porn addiction, drugs, Stealing, lying, Christian, it used to be that way, but not now, not anymore. I think it's easy when we feel that failure that we just want to revert back to the old things, our old life. But even the apostle Paul said, no, 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 no. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 12 to 13 says this, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises that God made them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, key words, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, 
But now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. You used to, but now. See, Peter was feeling that way. He had a great relationship with Jesus. But that failure in his life just sort of reverted him back. And Paul said, no, that's what you used to be. But now you're not. No, not now. Peter's sitting in the boat wondering, hey, will this make me feel better? It's got to, right? I'm back to fishing, right? But he's not caught one fish. (laughs) Oh, he was feeling like a failure before. Now he feels like a real big failure. He can't even catch one fish. Maybe he lost his touch. Maybe he's not supposed to be there. It's not making him feel better. But still, I'm not feeling better, but I got fresh air at least, and I'm around my friends, right? Isn't it amazing that when we run from God back to our old habits, we think we will feel better? Usually we don't, though. Sometimes it's worse because we know better. See, we've tasted truth. We know how good God is. We know that God is refreshing. But the lure to return to the past Seems like it's what we're prone to do to find relief, but it's still empty. Jesus calls out from the shore. I love this in John chapter 21. Jesus calls out from the shore and he's like, hey, how's that working for you? How's the fishing? Peter's like, it's not. It's it's not working for us. Honestly, it's not. But Jesus doesn't walk on the water to them this time. I like that. It's time for them to act, Right? Do you ever think God says to you, hey, you get up this time. You move to me. I've moved to you my whole life. It's time for you to stop being a lazy Christian. You get up. Jesus tells them, take your nets, put them on the other side of the boat. Um, Thanks, stranger. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Throw the nets here aside. Everybody's got an opinion. Guess he wants to tell us how to do our work too, right? I don't know. Sometimes we act that way with God, don't we? Jesus, you want me to abide? Whatever. Thumbs down on that message. God wants us to what? Not today, God. And we wonder why our nets are empty. Hmm. Well, what's it hurt? So they listened and it worked. It worked. It worked. They had nets full of fish. Wait a minute. This story sounds familiar, doesn't it? Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 says this. This is three years earlier. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Verse five, master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. At this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and they were on the verge of sinking. Verse 8 goes on to say, when Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they caught, as were the others who were with them. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. three years earlier and now now they're in their boats and suddenly their hearts begin to melt a sense of familiarity has resurfaced this feels good wait and it's not because we've got a treasure full of fish in this boat feels good because it's jesus on the shore jesus is recreating the scene this is no deja vu or a rerun 
it's another episode of how God, a God full of grace, reaches out to you and me and says, I'm still here. In the first story, story, Peter realized what was happening. And he fell to his knees and he worshiped Jesus, right? Now Peter grabs his, his clothes, puts them on, and jumps in the water and swims to shore. I love the urgency. I love the fact that he has a, a boatload of fish, which means a lot of money, which means, that, you know, we're set, right? And he leaves it all and just jumps in the water. Instead of rowing to shore, he jumps in the water. That's called urgency. That's called reckless abandonment. Do we have it? When's the last time you showed a reckless abandonment in your faith? When's the last time you walked down the aisle of the church to pray? When's the last time you raised your hands in worship? When's the last time you said, hey, I'll lead us in prayer? Reckless abandonment. I love being a part of a group I'm in. It's called Every Man a Warrior. There's 10 of us men in this group. And, and I love the fact that each man in this group has twice led the group. Not one is like, I can't do it. No, they've all been like a reckless abandonment of faith saying, hey, I'll lead. I'll lead. That's courageous. Back to John 21. Jesus is like, hey, I'm hungry. Let's eat. So he gets a fire going. They have a meal using the fish they caught. And eating's more than just physical nourishment in biblical times. It was fellowship. Slow down. Get around the table. Eat. Talk. Get to know each other. That's what they did. It was a cultural strong point of the day. And Jesus says, hey, let's have a talk. So they sit down. Let's read what happens. Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? (laughs) Yes, Lord, he replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, and feed my sheep. Three times this question. Three replies. And then it hits Peter. Three times I denied my Lord. Peter had sinned. He couldn't believe what he did. That voice inside that kept saying, you're a failure, Peter. You denied your your Lord three times. Listen, Satan's tactic is this. To whisper into your ears and say, hey, you blew it. You might as well just continue to sin. God, he's not going to forgive you. Your family is not going to forgive you. So why don't you just quit that Christian stuff? The church, the pastor, they're just going to judge you. Church, listen to this. Satan is not the spokesperson of your soul. God is. And God loves you. Listen to him. There's remorse here. But remorse leads to repentance and restoration. And that's huge. You know, I don't know about you guys in your house, but it seems like at our house, something breaks or goes bad at home. Almost seems like a daily basis lately. A leaky faucet, a dead battery in a car, a a broken basketball pole. Um, Something's breaking all the time, it seems like, right? And then a broken door. I was... I was coming home the other day, I ran some errands, and I got a text 
saying, hey, the, the door in the garage is broken. What? Yeah, you know, it's like we can't get in and out of the house through the garage because the door's broken. Like, are you kidding me? So I get home, and, and nobody knows how it broke. And there wasn't anybody that did something, at least that were aware. I mean, it just broke. So I took the door handle, took it apart, worked out a few parts, restored it back to working condition. I'm not sure how I did it. Not an engineer, not good at this kind of stuff, but it got to work and it works. We can go in and out. Now it's made me think about this. It's like when we sin, see when we sin, something in us breaks and we cannot enter into fellowship with God. Our hearts need fixing before entering and sin is brokenness. God forgives our great, holy, almighty, just redeemer, restore, our spiritual repairman, <laughs> fixes it. And listen, I didn't yell at who broke it. I don't even know who broke it. It just broke, right? God doesn't yell at us when we sin. He just waits for us to ask, hey, God, can you fix this? I'm sorry. <laughs> I broke something. Broke something yours. I'm sorry. Can you, can you fix it? Mm-hmm. Do you remember how Peter fell? Do you remember how, he, how that whole denial thing went down? If you go back to John chapter 13, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, and he just said, I have a new command I'm giving you to love one another as I have loved you. And then Peter says after that, hey, I'm never going to abandon you, Jesus, right? In Luke chapter 22, we have a little bit better of a picture of this. Jesus says he's going to be betrayed. The disciples begin to talk to each other like, who, me? Not me. I'm going to do it. Who's going to do it? Well, look at verse 23. The disciples began to ask each other which of them would do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. That's like in the same verse right there. Hey, who's going to betray Jesus? Not me, not you. Hey, I'm better than, I'm not going to do that because I'm, I'm good, man. I'm better than you. Are you kidding me? Such pride. <laughs> such pride. That's probably what they were saying. You know, Jesus pipes up and says, hey, being a follower of God is not about being greater. It's about serving. It's about loving one another. Then Jesus looks at Peter, who is probably in that I'm greater than you discussion, right? He looks at Peter and he says this in the very next verse. He goes, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Peter that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Do you see what Jesus just did? Jesus predicts that Peter's going to fall. He's going to deny him. And that Peter's going to repent. And then Jesus is going to give him a new purpose. You know, when I'm reading this passage, a lot of theologians and pastors and writers always point this out here in John 21, the use of the word love. See, in English, we have one word for love, but in Greek, there was multiple uh, words for the word love. And in here, uh, agapao was used in relationship to God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? First John 4, 8, God is love. That's agapao. That's, that's an incredible love. Then we got another love is phileo, which is human love. It's friendship. It's like the best love we can experience apart from new life in Christ. Now, I know I've used this illustration before, so bear with me, okay? It's from James Boyce, and he uses this illustration to understand this conversation between Jesus and Peter, and we need to hear it. 
So let's do this. Let's say agapao is 100% love. Phileo is 60% love. Now the Greek words used in this conversation is, goes with those two words. Jesus said, Peter, do you love, do you 100% love me? More than all these things. Now you go back to John 13 and Peter says, hey, I'll die for you. That sounds like 100% love, doesn't it? Jesus said in John 13, 34, to love one another. That's 100% love. Peter says, I won't deny Jesus. Those were his last words. Did you know that? You don't hear Peter say anything after that until after the resurrection. Now Peter's humbled, still mulling over the facts of I denied Jesus. And yes, Lord, I 60% love you. Oh, he still loves Jesus. But now you can see his confidence has taken a hit. So a second time, Jesus asked Peter, he goes, do you 100% me? Do you 100% love me? Jesus replies, yes, Lord, I 60% love you. A third time, Jesus says, Simon, do you 60% love me? And Simon said, yes, Lord, 60%. Three times he asked the question. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked Peter to publicly affirm his love. That hurts, right? Yeah. Sometimes we must painfully accept that part of the restoration. It's taking things apart before putting it back together. Again, it's like the door. I had to tear it apart before I could put it back together. It's like surgery. I have to cut open a body and do something there, right? There's going to be some pain before I can fix it. Part of restoration and that repentance part, there's some pain that goes into it, but then it brings healing. Jesus was publicly showing his forgiveness to Peter and giving Peter to publicly show his sorrow and repentance. Listen, maybe that's why we need to start doing altar calls at church again. Because when we publicly declare our repentance to God, God publicly displays his love back to us. A lot of us don't want to admit our sins or that we have sinful lives. We're fearful of repenting before everybody, especially, right? But before everybody, God says, hey, I love you. I love you and I forgive you. Jesus is forgiving and commissioning Peter to a new mission. We can't fully live out our missions if we haven't first sought forgiveness of our sins. Listen, God's not cruel to us, shaming us. Confession is painful. And we don't want to admit our faults. We don't want to be wrong, right? But without it, we can't continue to serve. We can't love others as God's commanded us to love others. Peter knew now that Jesus could see his heart. And maybe that's why he said 60% love. But there's still joy in Peter for Jesus. Remember, he jumped out of the boat and he swam to the shore. He loves Jesus. He longed for Jesus. And this is a great story because God knows our worse and yet he still loves us. God knows. Our sin is no surprise to God. Confession doesn't shock God. Church, listen, when we pray and we say, hey, forgive me what I did to my parents. Forgive me what I said to my kids. You think God is like, what? You said what? Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> no, God already knew. God, Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. He died in advance knowing what we were going to do. I need to pause because, listen, I know right now 
there are some of you that are watching and listening. And you need to pray right now. You've got some things going on in your life, like Peter, that you need to confess. And you've got that voice inside your head that's just banging away and saying, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. Confession. Listen, we've all blown it. The remorse and shame that you may be feeling right now leads to repentance and restoration. We're going to, I've got a little bit more I want to say, but we're going to pause and we're going to pray. And this is a great time for us to maybe just confess some things we need to confess. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this story of, of Peter who, he loves you, no doubt about it. But he knew he blew it. And that remorse, that shame had separated his relationship with you and he thought he couldn't serve you anymore. And some of us feel the same way. Some of us have blown it. We know it. This week might have been a bad week for a couple people. This morning, something might have happened and we know it. It was wrong. We've hurt somebody in our home. We've hurt a friend. We've, we've said something. We've sinned against you, God. God, forgive us. Right now, where we're at, we just need to pray to you. With our eyes closed or open, whatever it may be, God, we admit our sins to you. We're sorry. Restore our relationship with you, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. You know, God knows our sin, but he also knows our best. He knows what we can do. He knows what we'll do for him in the future. And Jesus not only forgave Peter, but he also said, go feed my sheep. I love that. So, so Jesus restores Peter to a point of leadership. He's like, hey, you're ready to go. I forgive you. Now go lead. Go, let's go. Luke 5.10, Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It's time to go back to that, Peter. It's time to get back up and do what I command you to do. Now, I asked you at the beginning of this message, what's the most important part of a pencil, right? What did you all come up with? Was it the part you hold? Was it the eraser? Ah, because you're probably thinking we're going to talk about the eraser and erasing the sins of our life and how God is the ultimate eraser. That's, that'd be a great story, whatever, okay? Well, maybe the most important part is what? The lead, right? Because if we don't have the lead, you can't do with the pencil what you need to do. You want to maybe use this as a weapon? Stab somebody with? You want to use that as a noisemaker? A couple of them like drums? What else could you use this for? You use it as a tool to pry something? Uh, there's all kinds of purposes, right? But the purpose of the pencil is to write with, to create, right? I want to show you some. Uh, you've seen these pictures before, but I love them. Somebody took a pencil and very small, they worked away at artistically using the lead of a pencil for art. These are incredible. These are a couple of my favorites with the cross and with the heart. How did they do that? I mean, to me, it's just amazing what they were able to do. Even Elvis, that's right. When I, when I look at that, how the artist carved away the outside using the inside of the pencil to create something amazing, I sit there and think, that's beautiful. But is that the purpose of a pencil? Well, no, but it's really cool. And, and it helps me think that what's inside is pretty special, right? But again, the purpose of the pencil is to leave a mark and you must have the lead to do that. And so you can have a pencil and do what you need to do even without the eraser, right? But you better not make a mistake, right? 
Now that's impossible. Without an eraser, you need another source to help you with mistakes. Spiritually speaking, yep, that's a great point to talk about the need for God in your life to help you with your mistakes. But again, it's not what I'm getting at. We were created like a pencil to leave a mark. We were created to communicate, to share what's inside. But when we mess up, we need help correcting our mistakes, right? We need to take responsibility for my mistakes. If I write something and somebody says, did you write that? No. Yes, you did. Have I sinned in my life? Yes, I have. I need to take responsibility for that. But we have to seek God to help us. We were created in the image of God. We were created to display his glory new in a different way. You were placed here with purpose. I love how in the book of Ephesians we're told we were created for good works. A masterpiece. What has God given you to do for him? It's hard to do it when you're wrapped up in your sin and remorse. The power of the resurrection reminds us of a lot of things. There's a God of comfort, right? But the resurrection also reminds us that God has come to restore us. Church, where are you at? Where are you at in your life with Christ? I believe God's created each and every one of us to do something amazing for him. We were created with purpose. Do not let the sins of this world and the sins you struggle with keep you from living the life that God has ordained and purposed for you. God's a good God. He loves you. Go to him, would you? Go to him. Confess your sins to him. And say, God, I want to start living in the way you want me to live again. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, God, again for this story, for a reminder that we all mess up. We all make mistakes. But you are a God who is able to redeem us and restore us. Thank you, God. Thank you, because we need that. God, I pray right now for those listening that you reveal to them and remind them what their purpose is. What gifts have you given them to use for your glory? We want to shine, but it's not about so that we get the credit of the glory. We want to shine for you. So what is it that you're asking us to do? And what has been that blockade? What has been that moment that we think disqualified us? Forgive us, Lord, of that sin. Restore us, Lord, so we can live in a way again that shines for you. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.